worshiping together. Psalms 34, 7 says, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. I love this message version. The last two lines, it says, worship God if you want the best. Worship opens doors to all his goodness. Worship opens doors to all his goodness. And that's what we want, right? We want to we step into his courts with praise and we want to receive um, and experience that goodness, uh, meaning like his presence surrounding us and, and living in the reality of his presence. The more you worship God, the more you want to worship God. So let's be worshipers this morning. Let's praise his name. God, we, we open up our, our eyes, um, our hearts, God, to receive more of you. Draw us close to your heart as we praise your name this morning, God. We are your church. Lead us, Jesus. And sing a new song, sing of his goodness, sing of his goodness, sing of his wonderful love. And sing a new song, sing of his goodness, sing of his faithfulness, sing
and to draw closer to God. And in that month, I've learned the peace and surrender, to just surrender my life to Him. 
Would you sing this out with me? And, and I would encourage you as we sing this, maybe that's you, to just surrender. Lift your hands and surrender to him. So let's sing this out. I lift my hands up, God, I surrender all that I am for your glory, your honor, your fame.
say that a part of worship is giving to you, is being about what you're about, being a part of your ministry, being a part of this house. And so another way that we worship here at church is that we worship through giving. And there's different ways that, that we do that, that we try to make it clear to do that and easy to do that. So would you consider giving and being a part of this ministry in this house? Isn't God doing amazing things in this place? Continually, all these stories that we hear week after week, God's moving in a powerful way. Well, let's do this. Let me pray.
and let's just let's just dedicate the rest of the service to him and our and our offerings to him. God, we thank you for your steadfast love. We thank you for your mercy on us. We thank you, Jesus, that, um, that you give to us when we don't deserve it. And so without hesitation, God, we gladly give back to you what is yours. And we say thank you, Father. Thank you for the homes that we have, the families that we have, God, this church that we have, all these things that you've given to us and allowed us to be a part of. God, we take a moment and we praise you. God, we lift up your name in this in this home, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen, church. Welcome to Mariner's Mission Viejo. Yes, turn, greet each other, get out of your aisles, walk around, say hi to each other, give each other a hug, and we'll continue on. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be here with you. I love it. So fun. I am Susan Hulse. I am the children's pastor here. Oh, thanks. Here at Mariners Mission Viejo. Love you guys. It's so good to be here. If you are visiting or you're new this morning, we want to welcome you. This is an awesome community and we want to get to know you. So if you could just go back out the doors after service and we will meet you at the patio. We want to get to know you. And we are also a church that believes in community. We want to come around you and want you to be a part of this community. So if you want to get more connected, we would love for you to do that. And you can text to MV Connect. There it is up on the screen. MV Connect to that number up on the screen. And someone will get you right connected. We want you guys to not do life alone, and we want to get you involved. Well, today is a super fun day. We have all kinds of awesome, fun things going on, and we have some fun family business that we need to attend to. So I am going to ask up some of my MV staff to come up on the stage with me. Give them a hand. I'm not sure if you guys know or not, or knew or not, but last Wednesday was Pastor Jeff's 40th birthday. Woo! So we want to honor him. Jeff, if you could come up on the stage, give him a big round of applause. We love him. Slowly making his way up. He's 40 now. We... <laughs> We want to just affirm you and thank you for all that you do. We, this church just loves you, and um, we are just so happy and just love you so much. So last week, many of you were able to grab um, a card and sign some affirmations, and we were able to put that together for you in a book. And there were so many, we had to put them in a basket. So many. So if you did not get a chance to do that, we want to encourage you to do that today. There's more cards out on the patio, and you can fill one out, and we'll continue to make books for him. We just want to thank him for all that he's done. All right. All right, guys, everybody stand up. We're going to sing happy birthday together. Ready for this? If you have your, uh, the little things that you were given, this is the time to use it. Ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Woo. <laughs> okay, yes. So, 
Okay, so first, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, everybody do the kazoo thing on three, okay? One, two, three, go. It just sounds like a ton of little kids just screaming. Um, by the way, I should tell you this. So first of all, thank you guys very much. It's, my, it's like the greatest. I, I love what I get to do. I'm honored that I get to do it. It's the, it's the most fun I've ever had in my life. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, and it's the most fun I've ever had. And I'm really, really honored to be able to, to be your pastor. And, you know, I keep wondering, like, when people are going to figure out that I'm not qualified to do this and, you know, ask me to stop doing it. So they keep letting me do this job. And I'm really, really grateful. And thank you for those of you who wrote affirmations. And those of you who are new, just make something up about me. Okay, that'd be great. I don't look even like I'm 40. It'd be a great one. Um, but I also want to let you know, Susan, who is our, our children's pastor, is amazing. And she, be, she became a grandmother on the same day as I became 40. So I'm 40 years older than her grand, grandson. So there you go. All right. Thank you so much, you guys. So awesome. Thank you. Love that we get to celebrate together. Well, we have lots of fun things going on here at this church. And one of the things I wanted to share with you this morning is something that we're doing in children's ministries. We are gearing up for our Summer Fun Nights VBS, which is happening July 18th through the 22nd for incoming kindergartners through fifth graders. Now, if you're new or you're kind of like unsure what this VBS thing is, it is a week-long camp that um, kids can come to and learn Bible stories and crafts and fun games and worship, and it's just an awesome week that we get to spend with kids. It is too much fun. Well, in the past, we have partnered with one of our um, other Mariners campuses, and this time, for the first year ever, we are going to be hosting our Summer Fun Nights VBS at our very own Mission Viejo campus. It is going to be so awesome having it here right on our own campus. And what I love is that it's going to give you, as a congregation, a unique opportunity to continue to be the inviters that I know that you are. I would love for you to be praying and thinking about those kids in your neighborhoods and in your community who you would like to invite to the Summer Fun Nights VBS. Now, I know there are kids that don't know Jesus Christ, and I would love for them to come. You see, I want your kids to come, but I really, my heart and my passion is for those kids who have never heard of the good news of Jesus Christ, that they would be here on this campus the week of VBS, and that they would learn, be learning more about who God is in their life. That is my heart. And I would love for you to partner with me in that and be thinking and praying about who you could invite, what kids are in your neighborhoods and in your communities that you could invite to come. We also have the unique opportunity that we are having our VBS in the evening from 5.30 to 8.00. 30. This gives us the, the chance as a congregation to come together as a church family. Moms, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, everybody can come and serve the week of VBS. I would love for you to be praying about that if you would come and serve that week. You see, there are going to be kids here the week of VBS who are going to say, I believe for the very first time. And many of those kids are going to want to join and become, get baptized at our Friday night celebration. And I would hate for you to miss that. I would hate for you to miss 
all that God is going to do the week of VBS. So please be praying about your involvement because it's my heart desire that we would come together as a church, not only be inviters, but that we would be serving the week of VBS. So today, we have all kinds of fun stuff going on out in the patio. We have games and otter pops and all kinds of fun stuff. But what I would love is for you to pick up one of these flyers. Actually, I'd love for you to pick up several as you're thinking about who you want to give these flyers to, who, what kids in your neighborhood can you hand this to? And you can be passing this off to them, and let's be inviters, and let's just have an awesome VBS here on our own campus. Thanks so much, you guys. All right. I, I only wanted to announce that Susan is a grandmother, so you know she's older than me. Um, but that's really, I just need to confess that to you. Hey, great to be with you guys. Good morning. Some of you um, are still waking up. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. Um, If you're new with us, um, some of you are like, what's the deal with the birthday and the, like, kazoos? And I just want to let you know, we use kazoos every week in worship. And so um, you're welcome to bring your own. Um, But, man, I'm so glad to be. I I really am grateful to be able to to be, like I said, I'm grateful to be um, the pastor of our church here. And if you're new with us, this is not how we do every single week. And. But, man, I'm glad that you're here. I know there's lots of places you could be. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Um, I want to tell you, the reason why I'm using this microphone, too, in case some of you guys care about that, is because I'm clearly losing my voice. So in the middle of this message, if I just lose that, if it just goes completely whisper mode, then I'm just going to point at my slides and just kind of like, you figure it out, okay? Um, We'll be done in like five minutes, you know. You're like, enough talking, just get to the slides. I got brunch to get to. I get it. Um, but anyways, um, I'm really, really grateful that you're here. If you're new, chances are you were invited by someone. Our church kind of has a, like, a reputation being known for being people who are, are, are inviting people all the time. We always believe that um, one of the best ways we get to be in the community is by including people who are you know, not sure about Jesus yet. And so maybe you're a person who's, who's come with someone who invited you. And um, m- chances are they probably, if they invited you, they also kind of told you something we say generally at the beginning of every service, which is that we're a group of people we're working really hard to try and figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and love other people. And um, we are convinced that we don't have all the answers and we don't do it all right and that we're all a work in progress. And so regardless of where you are, whether you, you know, you've, you're new to church or you haven't been, you haven't been in a long time or you're, this is your every week, this is your routine, we believe that every single person has a next step to take. And for everybody, it's equally challenging and equally difficult and equally really exciting as well. And so hopefully you feel like you can ask questions, take a next step, and be a part of what's going on here. Um, we are in a series. It's been really, really cool. It's been, you know, it's, it's surprising how, how great the response has been. And people keep inviting their friends to come be a part of it. But because it's called, the, uh, you know, things I wish Jesus never said. And we have an impression about Jesus, a lot of us, that there's like, he pretty much said things everybody loved. Like everybody's like, this is great, we love what Jesus is saying. Except, you know, like when you look at some of the the story of Jesus throughout his ministry, you have him saying things that people aren't real excited about. In fact, you could even say really simply, it's what his word said that got him put on the cross, but people were angry enough to go, you can't say that stuff, we have to silence you. So let me just give you a sense of what that looks like. Jesus' disciples are hearing Jesus teach, here's what they say. On hearing Jesus' teaching, as I almost trip over the stool here, on hearing Jesus' teaching, which he just said some stuff they didn't really like, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, this is different than just simply saying, we don't understand what you're saying, because the disciples do say that a lot. Jesus, we don't get what that means. And he tells them, or, you know, whatever else it might be. He kind of points them to another story or whatever else it might be. But here what they're saying is, what you're saying, Jesus, is crazy. You can't keep saying that kind of stuff. 
Everybody, as we've been saying every week, everybody loves the miracles. We love you healing the blind guy. That was cool. We love seeing people that are being able to walk who couldn't walk before. Also great. People being able to hear. Awesome. We really like the water into wine thing we did. That was a great party. Thank you for that. You're amazing, Jesus. That's all good. But you keep saying stuff that makes people get a little bit ticked off, and we don't know what to do about that. In fact, a couple verses later, this is what you have. From this time on, sorry, I'm going to move this screen. I know the camera's going to be ticked at me again. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In other words, it wasn't just like, oh, wow, you shouldn't, that's hard to hear that stuff, Jesus. You can't really keep saying that stuff. It's like, if you're going to keep saying that kind of stuff, we will no longer follow you. Which means Jesus says things that people don't like. Which means, which is even, you know, you do the math. We're in a situation now. We're going to hear some stuff that Jesus says for which a lot of us are going to go, I wish he didn't say that. And the question for all of us as we look at that, new to church or this is your home church or you grew up in the churches, what do we do with the things that Jesus says that we really don't like? Because a lot of us will have a tendency to minimize those things, skip over those things. We'll just turn our, we'll tune our brains out for a little bit. We'll kind of figure out a way to get around them because they make us uncomfortable. And to read the Bible, look at the Bible, we have to, regardless of what we think about it, we have to come in contact with some things that challenge our way of being, that challenge the way we know life should go, that put us in a place where we go, I don't know if I'm, what I'm supposed to do with that because it's not easy. It's been a great series. We've wrestled with some big things. We're going to take another step today to wrestle with some things that you're going to go, ooh, what do I do with that? So let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you meet us here in this place. We're grateful that you have found um, found a way to find us in kindness and in love. And so Jesus, whatever impression we might have had of you before we came into the room, might you restore a whole understanding of who you are to us. Jesus, today might it be clear that you're not a God who's into just simply behavior modification, that your intention for us isn't that we would live in fear. Father, we're tired of the pressure in our life to fake it all the time, to make it seem like everything's great. Today, Father, if there's any part of us that feels broken, feels the pressure to have everything together, to look like we've done everything right, but that is somehow hiding something else, would you bring about a restoration today? Would you bring about a rescue? Would you challenge us? Father, would you speak to us for just a a moment in stillness about how much your intention is to invite us into a life of wholeness and completeness that we cannot have without you? Will we receive the invitation from you for just a few seconds in stillness? Would you speak to us, Father? Jesus, speak to us today. We know what we're going to hear will be a challenge. It will be difficult. We believe that you can, you can transform us, and we believe, Father, that you have a future for us that is beautiful and rich and whole. In your name, Father, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now, um, I should tell you, if you want to follow along, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 primarily. You can turn your Bible there, if you can, or you can whatever, swoosh to it or swipe to it, or whatever you want to call it with your phone. Um, or if you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's Matthew? Who's he and who invited him? Um, but we've got to, everything you'll need to be on the screen as well, so you can follow along in your outline and kind of walk through that. Now, a couple years ago, i got to tell you, a couple years ago, I was hanging out with my, my oldest son, who is now 12, and he had a great question for me. He was like, Dad, what's a bad guy? Like, we were, we were playing. Like, we we're, you know, what literally is a, de- he literally asked me, Dad, what's the definition of a bad guy? I'm like, you know, we were playing, you know, we're throwing Legos at each other, and we're playing, you know, lightsaber fights or whatever else we got going on. And he goes, just kind of like, what makes a bad guy a bad guy? I'm like, it's a pretty intelligent question, you know? And so I kind of, by the way, I should tell you, every time I explain something to my kids that should have a simple explanation, I go into full-blown, like, pastor mode. 
It's like, well, let's, let's consider a few options here. And I know, and I do, all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, answer the question. They just are like, Shh, give me a short answer, which I over-explain everything. Amanda, my wife, will look at me and go like, you're real bright, that's real fun. Kids don't know what you're talking about. Like, she's really kind to me with that. But they want a simple explanation. So, doing the best I could, this is the best definition of a bad guy I could find. Someone who uses their power to take what doesn't belong to them. Pretty straightforward. When you're looking at, you know, we're like, my sons and, my sons and I love to watch Star Wars, and you know, because they're good and righteous children. Um, but we watch Star Wars, and, you know, it's like, that's the definition of the bad guys. The Empire, the bad guys, they're always taking stuff that doesn't belong to them. They use their power to do it, right? You got that. Now, then, what's a good, what's a good guy? Simple. A good guy, someone who, is, who self-sacrificially uses their power to give back to others what's been taken from them. I mean, is, that, is there not a better definition of Superman than that right there? I mean, that's pretty much it, right? Now, moving forward, then it begs the question, though. Having considered a good guy and a bad guy in all the scenarios and all of our messing around together, my kids and I do, there is another question we have to wrestle with, which is what about everybody else? We watch the movies. There's the bad guy and the good guy. And then there is, there's like everybody else, like the extras in the movie that are like walking around the crowds of people, like, which is kind of where most of us fall. We're not, you know, we're not really going to, most of us aren't running into burning buildings, not looking around, listening to police scanners to try and solve crimes or whatever else. We're just kind of living our lives. We kind of, what about the everybody else person? So if a bad guy is someone who's using their power to take stuff from people that's not theirs, and a good guy is using their power to return that stuff, what about everybody else? Here's where I feel like maybe you'll connect with this. This is us. Average guy. Someone who takes a little and gives a little. You know... I'm not sure I should, but I probably will take a little bit. This is someone who's happy to, like, you know, help an old lady carry a big bag of groceries into her house. But, like I said, I'm not solving any crimes. I'm not, I got things to do. I want to go to the beach today or whatever else it is. Like, I'm not sure. I'm, the, I'm your guy. Now, there's a couple other things, too, this. A little bit more definition. Again, over-defining things. That's my specialty. Here we go. This person typically justifies, hides, permits a little bit of their own taking so long as it can be classified as not being that big of a deal. <laughs> Notice the room is not laughing now. Like, I don't know what that's about. I have never heard of that kind of person. Okay, because all of us, if we're honest, this is where most of us live. Like, we take a little bit. We might give a little bit. We're kind of in that space, and we go, if I can take a little bit, but it's not really, it's kind of invisible, and it doesn't cause any direct harm, well, then that's probably okay. That's how most of us live. And the questions we talk about today, as we look at this whole idea, one of the things I want to consider is that this is probably, we would be the people in Jesus' audience who kind of live like this going, tell us how to live because we're looking for something. Regardless of whatever, whatever side of the, whether you're Superman and you live in a black and white world and you've never done anything wrong, only good, self-sacrificing for the good of all humanity, way to go, by the way, that's good. Or you're the force of evil in the world. Or you're like everybody else in the middle. There's something that everybody has in common. Because everybody is looking for something, no matter where you fall on that spectrum. Everybody's seeking the same thing. We all want the fullest possible kind of life. What comes into question isn't, just, isn't what we want, it's something different. Everybody wants the fullest kind of life, and the issue is then the means of acquiring it. How do we get to the fullest possible life? And then secondly, the definition of fullest. These are the things that people debate. How do I acquire the kind of life that's ahead of me that I'm supposed to have, the fullest possible kind of life? And then what really do we mean by fullest possible kind of life? Now, when we start talking about Jesus, he's starting to express to people this idea that there is a better kind of life than people had previously imagined and
understand that that life comes at some level of a cost to which people start saying, I'm not sure I want to follow you, Jesus, because it's costing me so much, because it's difficult. This is the reason why people don't like everything that he has to say. That at least at some level, when we talk about this, Jesus will say, it's not just enough, or you cannot have the fullest possible life, believing, at least at some level, that the hidden parts of your life don't matter. That even if you got away, were able to kind of live a life that was totally invisible to everybody else, where you're kind of acquiring things and taking things and nobody ever saw, he would say you're missing out on the fullest possible kind of life. Additionally, what he'll say is this. In some way or another, what he'll say is, Jesus is going to challenge everybody to consider that what he's offering to them is something that's at odds with the systems and powers of the world. And what he'll say in so many words is, even if you could have everything that the world promised, what would be the outcome? And would it be enough? So people are left with this situation. What do I really choose here? And what's in common with both, whether what's in common to the people, and we have a pretty strict, strict definition of a good guy, which is a person who basically is 100% awesome all the time, which now when you watch movies, back, different from the 50s and stuff, the good guys, like the Lone Ranger, was like good to everybody. And now to make a movie, you have to have the good guy have a little bit of self-indulgence, at least a little, somewhere or another. So in some way, if we're, really, if we're realistic, everybody is looking for something. How to have the fullest possible life. And another thing that people will do, one of the means everybody employs, especially if it's invisible, is self-exemption. Other words, entitlement. Jesus, aren't I allowed to have a little bit? Can I, let's be reasonable here. God, can't I just, isn't it okay? I know everybody's supposed to go down this line. This is where everybody's supposed to line up to go to the special ride, whatever it is at Disneyland or whatever else. But it'd be okay if I came in the exit, right? Just got right on the ride because I'm, I'm me, right? I mean, we're looking for permission or everybody's looking for a little bit of exemption. If you've ever been pulled over by a cop, everybody says about traffic cops, they're jerks. They're all, everybody's, a, all of them are jerks. Now, you've met a traffic cop probably in your life, and you thought, that person wasn't a jerk. But in general, if you get busted for speeding, they're a jerk. Unless they say, I'll make an exception. I'll make you, you're exempt somehow from this one. Let me just let you off with a warning. And then everybody says about that cop, they were really cool. Because I was an exception. This is what everybody's looking for. Now what Jesus will say, as he's speaking to this group of people, he's, he's going to speak to a group of people who are on a hillside. In fact, let me show you what that looks like. This is, by the way, I'll take you to this spot if you want to come with us to Israel in November. Just a little plug there. This is what it looks like. Now I know some of you are like, that's such a beautiful hillside. I mean, the lake is, this is the Sea of Galilee. That's beautiful. But really, what's not on the shot is like literally like right about kind of, you can get track with me a little bit, camera. Maybe not, but like right out here, if you're looking on the screen, like right out here is literally a rusted out van. Like it's like, you kind of think, why, why, don't they, why don't they make it more sacred? It's just a hillside to everybody else. To us, we're like, this is the most beautiful place. Jesus spoke to people here. Everybody else is like, well, I gotta put, a, put my van somewhere. I mean, it's like, they don't, it's pretty, but, you, but here's the deal. If you wanna go, I'll take you to this spot. And there's actually, it's, it's pretty cool. It, it is really cool to kind of give you a sense of what Jesus is saying. These people are gathered on a hillside. Famously, Jesus is having what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which this is the mount, the hillside where he's having this conversation with these folks. And he tells people, I want to challenge everything you know about the way you've understood some stuff. And the pattern he follows, by the way, if you want to read just a list of things in the Bible that you go, I wish Jesus didn't say that stuff, read Matthew 5 through chapter 7, basically. You're going to go, oh, no, oh, no, duh. How do, oh, there's got to be another explanation because it's all really hard to hear. And it's all really simple and it's generally pretty clear. Check this out. Now, here's the pattern he uses. 
you've heard that it was said. He'll say this to the people. You've heard that it was said. You have an understanding about the way things ought to go. And then he'll challenge that understanding with this phrase, but I say. Over and over again throughout his message, he'll say, you've heard it said, but I say. Speaking with a kind of authority they weren't anticipating, it's kind of a big deal that he does this. Now, it's kind of, to give you some context, it's like this. He's going to raise the level of expectation for what they've already understood. Even if they had an understanding about how the way things ought to go, the way they understand what it means to be a follower of God's ways, whatever it looks like, he's going to speak to them about something called the kingdom of God in which he's going to explain how to have the fullest possible life. And they believe, some of them, they already know what it is. Whether or not they've you know, walked in it or not, they have an understanding about that. It's like this. My kids have a Nintendo Wii. And there's one game, that I, there's only one game I can beat my kids in. And it's the Mario Kart game, which is a driving game. You know, so you hold this, you know, the little, drive, little handle thing, the joystick like this. And, you can, and I, could, I could smoke all my kids. I'd just like, oh, where are you guys? That's too bad. Did dad win again? I mean, it's the only thing. Everything else, everything else, I'm like, I, I cannot do anything else except for the dance one. I'm pretty good at the dance one, too. That's notwithstanding. Anyways, so I'm, I'm driving this thing. I beat him, and I realize, I'm like, there's like four levels to this game that you can play. And it's basically based on the engine size of these, of these little golf carts that you drive. And I go, hey, how come we're only playing this level? How come we don't play the other ones? And they go, we don't like that one, Dad. And I go, why don't you like the other levels? Because we can't win when we play at those levels. I go, oh, okay. They don't, they've beaten the game at the lowest level. In the same sense, what Jesus is saying is, you guys might have understood. I'm not changing the rules on anybody here. You might have understood how to play the game at this level. But I say there's a whole other level to this. And you're missing it. And it has something to do with the fullest possible kind of life. So don't miss it, he'll say. Now, here's, here's where we go in Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said. There you go. There's our, then we know. There's something coming up here. Now, remember, what he's about to show these people isn't going to be something they're going to be surprised by. Okay, look what he says. You've heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's not like the audience went, oh, no. There goes my plans for the weekend. I had a bunch of buddies. We were going to just go murdering people. What are we going to do now? You know, I guess we're going to have to play the Nintendo. I mean, it's like, you know, it's nobody's surprised by this. And they're all going, yeah, yeah, but he says you've heard it said. Now, this is the pattern of debate. So he knows this audience is going, he's going to challenge this? You've heard it was said not to murder people, okay? We're all on the same page. What are you possibly going to say? Now, continuing on. Verse 22, but I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoa. Because you can imagine in this crowd of people, maybe someone had committed a murder, but more than likely everybody there is like, well, I'm glad I don't commit murders. And then Jesus says, well, if you've ever been angry with someone else, you've, just, you've kind of in the, facing the same kind of thing. How tough that must be for everybody. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, so stop saying that in your house. And now there's the R word we're going to have to talk about with our kids. Anyone who says Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Oh, no. what? Hey, Jesus, let's take it down a notch, my man. Let's get a little, let's just bring it on down just a hair. Because let me just say what these things mean, first of all. Raka and fool are roughly equivalent. Raka is like, it literally translates, it's an Aramaic word that means empty-headed, which, stop saying that, okay? Empty-headed, and then he says this, you fool. A fool is someone, not, it's different than the way we would use the word fool. A fool is someone who is like willfully choosing against God's intention for their life on purpose over and over again. 
That's what that means. When you use the phrase fool that's contrasted against someone who's wise in the Bible, it's always someone who knows God's will or whatever God intends and purposefully chooses the other way. And what Jesus says is if you call someone that or you tell them that they're empty-headed, you, not them, you are a person who is in danger of a kind of judgment. Let me tell you about what the word hell is. Okay, there's lots there. So I mean, like, I know what hell is, okay? I know what that is. Let me just help you phrase this a little bit. The word hell in Greek is the word Gehenna. In, in uh, Hebrew, it's the word Hinnom. And here, it's, a actual, it's an actual physical place everybody would have known Jesus was talking about. So he's not talking about the spiritual realm of punishment. For there, at least for his audience wouldn't have thought that at this point. They would have thought, oh, he's talking about the trash heap where we burn all our trash. And what he's saying is, now what do you do with things that are, that are trash? What you do with the things that are trash, you have taken things that had value, that had lost their value. And then because there's no waste management in the ancient Near East, you have to literally just burn your stuff. So things that had no more value, that had lost their purpose, are placed in the fire so that they can be burned and disposed of. So let me just, without getting too carried away, what Jesus is saying here is this. When you start acting in this way, you are losing your own humanity. You're in danger of losing the purpose for what you were intended. You were not intended to treat each other like this. And so you have to understand, to, to move forward in this kind of thinking, in some way or another, you're, you're endangering yourself of losing the purpose for which God intended you all together. Now, there is something to be said about this for just a second here, too. Jesus is pointing to people saying something that every, to the, to the average person right there. He's saying all of us in some way or another probably could walk into this realm a little bit. How easy is it for us to step into anger and to step into hate? It's, it takes so little. It takes so much for, for us to have some kind of experience of joy or wholeness. And yet for, it's so simple for us to find our way into anger or to hate. It's so easy. I mean, um, just to give you a sense, uh, I know that for me, whenever another driver just drives in front of me and makes me apply my brakes, I want to kill him. Like, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on applying my brakes right there, and you made me do it. And I look at them like, how dare you? I'm driving here. My car is old and large, and it will run you over, and I almost want to do it. You know, it's like I have this old Suburban, right? How often, it's so easy. Whenever we're inconvenienced, now all of a sudden when we um, go to the store and they make us use the new credit card chip thing on our, our debit card, which takes eight seconds. Oh, how quickly the world owes us a coupon for something free at that store now. Oh, really? After you, sorry, everybody, it's going to take eight more seconds. I mean, we just look at the world like it's the world's worst thing. that they are. And if you pull, and of course, everybody, anybody ever done this, accidentally pull the card out just a second too early? You waited seven seconds, and you've had enough. And then like, like I'm sorry, I, just, I thought we were done. No, it's going to take, sorry, folks, it's going to take us a grand total of 16 seconds now to capture this whole thing, so just bear with it. And you just hate the whole, everything is like anger. It's so easy to get there. So people are like, yeah, too much. I, I punched the clerk once because I did that. Yeah, yeah, I get it. When we see people who have things that we think we're entitled to, that we should have, remember this whole thing, a little bit of entitlement, self-exemption, we kind of look at ourselves. We see people that we manage to be, kind of see them as equals or lesser than us, and they have what we want. How quickly we say about them, I hate that person. I'll give you an example. Um, I was gone last week because uh, my, my mom took my whole family to Maui. Yeah. 
now you all hate me, right? It was just that easy. It was like, that's all it took. He doesn't deserve to go to Maui. I want to go to Maui. I deserve Maui. You do. I don't know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> it's so easy for us to take these kinds of steps. Now, what I would say even more, even more so is this. There is a part of us that we have to start to begin to wrestle with a little bit. That all of this, all of the idea of anger is an indicator of an appetite within us that's not being satisfied. We have an expectation about the way things are supposed to go, about what we're supposed to get. And when we don't get them, we start to get a little bit angry. Jesus continues. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar and first go be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Now, this sounds pretty simple, but I want you to understand that picture I showed you, that's about 70 miles from the altar. People would take the three-day journey from where I was showing you. So his audience is all these people that live on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Again, I could show it to you in November if you want to come with us. And we go, you, need, you drive all the way into, into Jerusalem, which is a long drive. Those people would have taken them three days. On the way, they, when they get to the temple, then they have to buy these animals, which they're going to sacrifice there, to give, to give sacrifice to God. And then if, what Jesus is saying is, at the moment you're about to give this sacrifice, this critical act of worship, you decide, you know, I got, there's a person I hate back home. You then have to turn around and walk 70 miles back to your house. Not only that, people are paid every day by the day, at the end of the day. It's not like they get to take vacation time to do this. Nobody's paying for them to take a day off and walk to the temple. What Jesus is saying is the relationship between worshiping God and our relationship with other people is so intimately connected that worship with God is impossible without first getting stuff right with the other people in our lives. And what we want as entitled people we want an exemption. We want to say some people just deserve to be called idiots. We want to say that person who does, we just want to, I mean, we're not causing any direct harm. It's all indirect harm. If anything that we do, I mean, the, the likeliest and most easily committed or applied exemption to any rule is the one that's invisible and does no direct harm. To say to someone, you're lame, you're an idiot, you're, you're raka, whatever. To say that to them, we think there's no real direct harm to them, and they probably deserve it. And what we tend to say over and over again is, I just want, to, I, I just want, I want my way to happen, and I get those people in my way, and I just don't understand why they're there. There's something else in here, too, though. Another layer, perhaps. Jesus says to these people, if you're going to say these things to them, you might as well, you might as well have committed this act of murder itself. It's just that serious. What I realized as I began to think about this this week, one of the people for whom I'm the most angry and for the people I, I have, this person for whom I have the most, probably I would say this, the, the harshest words, the most vile words of hate is myself. I find having been a high school pastor for a number of years and then on and through different ages of, of people in ministry, it's amazing how many people say in some way or another, although maybe not directly, that they themselves, are their biggest issue in their life is at least some level of self-loathing. They've been trying for years to get something right and it's not working. And the only conclusion they can come to is, I must be someone who should be hated because I can't get it right. Over and over and over again. In fact, the meanest people in your life, the people that you see the most who are the most angry at themselves are people who are the meanest to other people. 
I find in my own life, maybe this, is, maybe this connects with you in some way or another. I find that the way in which I manage the things I'm unhappy about in myself, the way in which I deal with that most often is in trying to work out my own imperfection. I try to work out that imperfection in the perfection of my own children. I don't call them fool. I don't call them empty-headed. I don't think I have to. I think they know when I'm trying to manage their own perfection because it's something I cannot manage in myself. Jesus is saying to, his, to these people, your words really do matter. Now the most entitled people, this is the connection with anger, most entitled people that you know in your life are the angriest, the poorest in gratitude, and the richest in envy. The most entitled person in any group that you're in, it may be you, but just, it may not be you, but the most entitled person in any group that you're in is someone who's the angriest, who has the hardest time being grateful for what they've been given, and who finds it easy to find a way to find out that other people have stuff that they should have. That's the most entitled person. And there's this connection Jesus will make. The sequence is kind of unbelievable. It's kind of amazing, and it's actually super uncomfortable. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus will make a connection that is really shocking because he'll continue on. Verse 27, check this out, between anger and one other thing. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, the audience is not going, well, <laughs> I, I guess I've been blowing it for a little while. I probably didn't know that. You know, and like nobody is describing themselves as going, I thought this was all going to work together. Nobody, nobody's shocked by this. But remember, he's challenging their understanding. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his own heart. You have, to, <laughs> you have to imagine the audience there. Probably some people are getting a little puffed up. Yeah, I've never committed adultery. We all know your story and your story and that guy's story over there and her story. Like, man, I'm kind of a little bit better than that. And then the Jesus does this. Yeah, but if you look at someone like you want to have sex with them, you're kind of already there. And you can imagine the awkwardness there. Like, oh, well, I, uh, the lack of eye contact. Everybody like, what time is it? Hey, who's going to Del Taco? We out of here? I mean, like everybody kind of slowly kind of realizing they might have something to do with this. Remember, this is average people who have the ability to take a little bit of something so long as nobody else can see it. Whoops. He continues. Brace yourselves. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out <laughs> and throw it away. Keep it going, Jesus. This is great. I love what you're saying here, right? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Woo! Let's close in prayer. Okay, then. Keep on going. I just want to just... And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, I guess that's true. One part of my body is better than my whole body going into hell. I mean, like, this is not stuff that people are like, really, thank you, Jesus. I love hearing about this stuff. This isn't what they're thinking in their own minds. They're actually wondering, my gosh, is he, is he for real? Now, in all the history of the teaching of Jesus, so far as we can tell, there wasn't instantly a rash of people who became self-inflictedly blind and losing an arm. Like, well, you know, I've done that, you know, and like, hi, like there's just none, there's no instance of that. Like, all of a sudden there's like a Christian hand butcher guy who's like, yeah, well, you know, just go ahead and take my hand. You know, there's none of the hot poker in my, no, there's no record of all of these people who follow Jesus becoming instantly limbless and blind. 
So what does he mean? There's two layers I want you to talk about. I think the second is more important than the first, but I'll tell you the first to start. Here's the first layer. Yes, this is extreme. But maybe what Jesus is saying, at least at some level, is there is an intention to be ruthless in the effort to maintain a kind of purity. Because if this secret life, the life behind everything else that nobody else sees, if that in some way is a critical factor to our own experience of the fullest possible life, then we're going to have to be ruthless with that. And maybe what he's saying is maybe you don't go on Facebook and try to see what your old boyfriend or girlfriend was doing from high school. Maybe you have to take, maybe you even have to remove yourself from Facebook. Maybe you have to have, if there is access to the internet for you on your phone, which who doesn't have a phone that does that now, right? Everybody could do that. Maybe you have to either share your web browsing history with everybody else. In other words, to say, take a look at that everybody else, but at least one other person who could say, hey, you're uh, spending a lot of time in Victoria's Secret. Oh, I just care about my wife. I'm just thinking about things I want to buy for her. Sure. Okay, that sounds real. I buy that. Like, someone who's going to tell you that's not true, stop doing that. Right? That might be part of it. Some of you may need to remove the ability to look at the internet altogether. Um, some of you guys, perhaps, when you go to the beach, maybe you need to not wear sunglasses because, because the, in some way or another, you're finding things to look at that are pretty, pretty wonderful and you don't want anybody else to know. Maybe your eyes have to be exposed and you're like, but Jeff, there are harmful UV rays. <laughs> okay, you might get eye cancer. I don't know, is, that, is that a thing? Is there eye cancer a thing? Oh, shoot, is everybody okay? <laughs> you guys all right? So, you can wear your sunglasses. It's okay, sir. I, there's no, I don't want to like, it's okay. It's not. <laughs> I don't want you to get cancer. Okay. But maybe there's some level in which we got to say, there's some extremes we have to take to prevent ourselves from this kind of appetite being serviced, maybe. But there's another layer I think that Jesus is getting after that's even more important. Because think for a moment, if every person ever who ever looked at something or someone and said, I want that, I should have it, I believe it's mine, i got to take it, whatever, having this kind of lust for things, this, this desire, if everybody who had that desire a person, for a person or a thing cut off their arms and gouged out their eyes, would sin cease? No, it would not. Which means Jesus is after something different here. What he seems to be pointing at isn't simply that we would be people who are really good at having an outer appearance look awesome. It turns out that Jesus is completely uninterested in the appearance of moral rightness. Jesus is completely uninterested in the appearance of moral rightness. Now, he's not opposed to moral rightness. What he's opposed to is that everybody's, all of these people would try to keep a life that looks right, that hides something else. Jesus will say to the religious leaders, he's way harsher to the religious leaders than that sentiment. He'll say, you religious leaders are like actors on a stage. You're hypocrites. You wear masks. You're like death and decay on the inside. And outside you look real pretty, like a whitewashed tomb, he'll say. To us, he says, I don't care that you look like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. If there's something that's inside of you that's all busted up, that you're, letting, you're giving permission to be there, I don't, I, I don't want you to miss out on the fullest possible life. And there's a part of your life that's being hidden underneath a, a pretty polished veneer that's losing something. See, as I consider what Jesus is saying, I want you to look at this really quickly. What Jesus will say is, there's kind of a process. I wrote this on your notes. Check this out. When we find something that we want that doesn't belong to us, we have this process. A notice, focus, dream about it, plot it, and then act on it. 
Notice really quickly, this, this, just notice really quick. Four of the five things are virtually undetectable. Four of these five things are almost entirely undetectable by anybody else except you. Now, what we tend to think is, so long as nobody can really see what's happening, if we're out here on the, like, if, as long as I don't act on it, it's fine. We are really good at keeping a secret life hidden. Because we believe at some level, this is me being able to have a part of my life that I can't have otherwise. It's me being exempted from this kind of behavior. I, I, it's okay if I can have this so long as I don't act on it. We're with my kids, like I said, in Hawaii. We walk through this you know, souvenir tourist trap place, and it's all glass-blown stuff. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're going to owe so much money after we go into this store. So I say to my kids, what my mom said to me, we look with our eyes, not with our hands. Now, I want you to, I think most of us apply the same principle to our own lives. So long as I'm not actually acting it out, it doesn't matter. And what Jesus is saying this, he's saying that somehow or another, when we start living as if it doesn't matter what's happening in our interior life, we're shortchanging ourselves on the fullest possible life. Said differently, we cannot fake nor shortcut our way into the fullest possible kind of life. In fact, what I would say even more strongly is if, if our intention is to start with some kind of behavior modification for our lives, that in some way or another, if what we're trying to do is fake our way into appearing as though everything's together, you know, we live in this nice houses, we live in this place, where we, everything's together, the makeup and the hair and everything's looking all wonderful and the job and everything, all of that stuff, and we have some level of moral rightness, if we're trying to fake our way into this kind of, this fullest kind of life that Jesus is talking about, we'll lose something. In fact, I would say even more seriously, so many people either have an impression or grew up in a church experience in which their whole impression was you have to appear as though everything's great. And those people, more often than not, suffer from the greatest degree of self-loathing because they could never get it right. So then what is Jesus really pointing us to? If, I mean, because some of us will have a sense of, like, absolute terror about this reality. We'll be like, oh, my gosh, he knows everything I'm going to do. He knows it's in my heart. He's just constantly a disapproved. God is a disapproving mother constantly looking at us going, oh, I'm just so disappointed. In you. Like, you know, you ever got, that's the worst thing your parents ever tell you. I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. Like, oh. And so many of us live that this is what Jesus is looking at us going, I'm constantly disappointed by you. And yet there is another way to consider this. And please hear this. is super critical. That maybe what God is doing is he's inviting us into a kind of life that we could not have nor create on our own. I'll come back to that in a second. We are all seeking to have the fullest possible life, and we want to do whatever we can to get after it. Everybody in the world is looking for that. There's an article that came out last week in, on ESPN. Great article, very long article about it's basically the demise of Tiger Woods. And you have this long story of his life that built up to his rather spectacular and public sort of blow up, and I want to tell you this line about two-thirds of the way of the article says this. Tiger Woods juggled a harem of women at once looking for something he could not find. Tiger Woods had the entire world at his disposal. He could have anything he wanted. He could buy anything. He could buy an island if he wanted. He could buy whatever he wanted. He was hanging around with Michael Jordan and Derek Jeter. These, I mean, he's just in, this is his life. There are women who are throwing themselves at him, and he's looking for something he could not find his whole life. 
the article will go on to explain he had a kind of a fascination with the military. He wanted to be part of a military. His dad was in the military, and it was either golf or Navy SEAL, to which the Navy SEALs he hung out with laughed at him. He never got to be one of the guys, so to speak. Here, I'll just give you the rest of this quote. While he made more and more time for his obsession with the military, and he either ignored, nor did he not notice the repeating patterns from his father's life. In other words, he was trying to avoid his father the whole time, and he was becoming his own father. And the story of Tiger Woods' life isn't that one day, oh my gosh, look, I'm all of a sudden and I have all this money. And it's like there's a process there of longing for fulfillment that wasn't coming any other way and he just was doing whatever he could to get it. And at the end of it, what he ended up with was emptiness. Michael Jordan in the article even says, I don't know how to tell Tiger Woods that he'll never be great again. It's amazing. What Jesus seems to be pointing people to is this. The fullest possible life cannot be had by the means and powers of the world. It has to be had another way. And if you got everything you ever could have wanted, all the stuff that the world promises, at the end of that, having all of that, would you re- what, would, what would be the result? Would you feel like you've had the life of fullness that you were hoping for? Jesus will say it this way, famously. Matthew 16, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for, for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In other words, for you to have the fullest kind of life, you're going to have to let go of everything that the world promises, believing that if you let go of it, to lose that kind of life, God will give to you a kind of life that you could never have while holding on to those things. Jesus will say you can't have both. It just doesn't work that way. Yet we all want a little bit of both. We all want a little bit of both. The world is an empty place. And Jesus will say, don't believe it's lies. There's a story of a, uh, the son of a king. The king's name is David. He's probably the most famous king in the Bible. He has, David has a lot of sons. One of his sons is a guy named Amnon. Amnon is a guy who is a prince in the king's palace. He has everything in all the kingdom. It's his, it, he has access to everything there. He decides, there's a really dark story of what happens when someone gets everything they ever could have wanted. And here's a story. He falls in love with his own sister, which that's not, by the way, some of you are like, you know, the world was different back then. Still not cool, okay? You just bear with me. He falls in love with his own sister, so sick that he gets, he's so in love with his own sister, he makes himself sick. His best friend comes to him and says, hey, why are you sick? And he says, well, I've been, remember, remember our little process here. I've noticed, I've been dreaming about, I've been focusing, and now I'm dreaming about it. I've been thinking about my sister and how much I want her. And his friend right there could have said, that's lame. Stop being lame. You can't do that. we got to figure out what's causing that desire in you. we got to deal with that. Now his friend goes, let's figure out how we can get her. They scheme together. They literally make a plot to figure out how to get her to try to serve Amnon dinner um, as he's laying in his bed. So that he can then proposition her to get it on. I mean, this is literally how dark the story goes. She comes to serve him dinner, and then he grabs her and has his way with her against her will. At the end, now this is a guy who has access to everything he could possibly want. At the end of that story, here's what happens. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and get out. The end of getting everything you ever could have wanted apparently isn't, isn't a sense of being full or hope-filled or satisfied. Evidently, the end of taking whatever we want for our own purposes, giving ourselves the maximum number of exemptions from all everything everybody else has to play by, whatever the result of that appears to be some kind of despair. 
And yet we all, a little bit, for some way or another, kind of go, I just want a little bit for myself. Isn't there something I can do? And you see in this story the, the relationship between anger and lust. The desire to have something that's hidden behind us, that in some way or another doesn't really matter, that we could just hang on to, that we just kind of lived in that realm, it wouldn't matter. And here's what I want you to capture. You see this over and over again in the Bible. The Apostle Paul will pick it up later in the Bible, but here's what it basically says. We have to take mastery over our appetites, or they will take mastery over us. We don't get to say, how do I indulge my appetites a little bit just so that I can kind of be satisfied, but that aren't really breaking the rule, looking for a loophole or an exemption. What, what the Apostle Paul will say is, for as long as we're serving our appetites, they will begin to start taking mastery over us. Here's what it'll say. Check this out. Paul will say, he's quoting a church in Corinth. He's quoting a group of people in a city called Corinth, and he says this to them. I have the right to do anything. That's the quote. You say, Paul will say, but not everything is beneficial. Other translations will say, everything is permissible, Paul will say, but not everything is beneficial. We have freedom to do whatever we want. The world has given us everything we want. Paul, or the, the Bible even says, you can have it all. And Paul will say, not everything's good. I have the right to do anything I want. Sure you do. But I won't be mastered by anything, Paul will say. Now here's what I want you to capture, and I don't have time to go totally into this, but I just, want to, I just want to capture the essence of this because some of you are like, now I'm really depressed. I can't do anything right. I'm back to the self-loathing thing. Jeff, please bring me out of this pit. Let me do the best I can. Jesus is not interested in creating good Boy Scouts and good Girl Scouts. Jesus is not interested in trying to get people to modify their behavior to make him look good. He's interested in a kind of transformation that you cannot give yourself by merely modifying your behavior. That transformation is a supernatural one. It happens by his power in you. If you came today expecting to find simply another path of walking your life that has mostly to do with just new kinds of obedience and new rules or trying to figure out how to find that, you will, be, you will end up at a place eventually left unchecked. You'll go to a place of self-loathing. The only way to live the fullest kind of life that God is intending for you to have is for a supernatural transformation by God's power in your own life. This is the invitation Jesus gives to his followers. A whole life transformation because evidently the kind of life that God wants us to have cannot be shortcutted. It cannot be faked. Jesus wants and looks at our lives and says that it is, eventually with all things, it all comes back to the content of our own heart that we would become the kind of people who are not seeking to destroy other people and not seeking to take things from other people even though they can't see it. But our whole lives would be transformed. Eventually, it all comes back to the heart. And that's Jesus' invitation to you today. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Fathers, we consider our own hearts and our own lives. We know there are secrets, there are habits, there are permissions that we give ourselves because they don't seem to be doing any harm. And yet, Father, we know they're potentially on the road to devastation for us. And while right now there's nothing really there that's causing us that kind of fear or doubt, would you bring to mind, Jesus, those things within us that have the potential to take us out? Not because we're guilty or we feel ashamed, but rather, Father, because you long for us to have a fuller possible life. So, Jesus, we confess those things to you now. Not because we're afraid of disappointing you, but because we coming, we're coming to grips with the reality that those things can never give us the life we were intended to have. So, Father, we'll cry out to you as we sing together.
Would you hear our, our prayers as we set them to music? Father, for those folks who need more prayer, would you have them come forward for those folks that pray, to be prayed with our prayer team? Would you enable us to sing with full hearts, knowing that, Father, that we need you for the transformation you intend to give us? So, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, hopeful for the transformation that only you can give us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Wow, what a powerful message, right? If you guys need prayer this morning, then we have a prayer team to the left and to my right. This is the time where we just let that, the, the words that we heard of God speaking to us go from our heads to our hearts. Let's worship together. Feel free to stand with us and sing or to pray. satisfaction but in him Jesus may he be our source of life continually 